and welcome to another episode of the Women in Agile podcast, the Code of Ethical Conduct for Agile Coaching series. I am your host, Renee Craven, and today's episode features Daniela Gomez dos Santos and Damian Buelnamico. Danny is an Agile coach at the Albert Einstein Hospital in Sao Paulo, Brazil. She is also a writer at Anicia GP blog, a mentor, and a speaker. Danny graduated in business administration and has a postgraduate certificate in project management. Daniela has more than eight years working with project management and agile. Damien is an agile coach and consultant working remotely from Buenos Aires, Argentina. He's a systems engineer with 20 years of experience in IT with the last 10 years being in agile. In this episode, I chat to Danny and Damien, both Agile coaches and contributors to the Code of Ethical Conduct for Agile Coaching. Danny and Damien have a shared purpose of sharing the code with their peers and broadening the reach of the code. I really enjoyed talking to Danny and Damien and hearing their perspectives on this first section of the code, which is protecting confidentiality, intellectual property and information security. Thank you for tuning in to the Women in Agile podcast. We hope you enjoy this conversation. Danny and Damien, welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks for joining us. (laughs) It's great to have you. And um, it's you're on the other side of the world for me. (laughs) Um, So thank you for joining me late on your Monday night. Is it Monday night for you? Yeah. This is still Monday for us. Mm. So you're in the future, right? (laughs) It's always a little bit. Always a little bit freaky when I talk to people. I'm like, I'm coming to you from the future. (laughs) Um, But it's basically true for every conversation I have, but that's okay. Um, So today we're going to be talking through section one of the Code of Ethical Conduct for Agile Coaching. Um, And that section's protecting confidentiality, intellectual property and information security. Danny, do you want to share your story with the Code of Conduct? How did you get involved with it? Yeah, well, um, I'm from Brazil and I'm a agile coach here. And once I was a project manager and as a project manager, I had a code of ethics. So when I migrated to agile, I was looking for something similar because I saw a lot of people starting working as agile coaches they don't actually have any kind of ethical rules, you know? I think um, there is a lot of, of things like uh, using material that other person created that needs to have some guidance, some rules involved. Mm-hmm. So I found the, the code of ethics from Agile Alliance. And then I thought, well, what if I translate it to Brazilian Portuguese? So my peers can also access this code. So this is what I did. And this is how I got involved with uh, the code of ethics. Mm. It would have been quite a process because it's quite lengthy, the code. We've taken a while. Um, Damien, how about yourself? Yeah, my story is very similar. Uh, In my case, I'm from Argentina, so I speak Spanish. Um, And I was preparing some training for agile coaches. Uh, And for me, the the code of ethics is a fundamental part of the profession. Uh, So I would 
I was thinking of creating something, but then I started looking on internet what was already created, and I found um, like individual efforts, like the one I would have done myself, of other um, agile coaches creating their own. They, they were pretty pretty good, um, but nothing convincing until I found um, in English uh, this code of ethics. Uh, so I liked that uh, it was very complete uh, with examples, scenarios, um, and also uh, published by the Agile Alliance. So I really wanted to have that, uh, but unfortunately it wasn't in Spanish, um, so I get in contact. Um, uh, surprisingly, everyone that was involved there were no one speaking in, in Spanish there, so they couldn't have it in Spanish. So I, as if, at the same case as Danny, um, I proposed to to translate it. So so I did it, and that's that's how I got involved with the with the awesome group of people creating this uh, code of con code of conduct or or ethics. What's it called? Can you say it in Spanish for me? In Spanish, yeah. uh, it will be um, Código de Conducta Ético. That's very cool. <laughs> um, How will it be in Portuguese? Well, in Portuguese, it will be Código de Conduta or Código de Ética. That's amazing. <laughs> it's very cool. Uh Wonderful. Okay. Thank you for sharing. So let me read through um, this section just so we can set the context for our listeners. So again, it's protecting confidentiality, intellectual property, and information security. Um, the two points under that, I will protect information shared with me and will only disclose it for legal reasons or when I have a clear agreement or when I have clear agreement with my client and stakeholders. And the second one there, I will attribute others' ideas appropriately and avoid the appearance that they are mine. Exactly. Yeah. Um, just for our listeners, what, how would you, uh, what does uh, intellectual property mean to you, Damien? Um, well, that's a very interesting one because uh, nowadays information is flowing everywhere. Mm. Um, so I would like to mention the case of uh, ChatGPT or any uh, artificial intelligence. So all the information that uh, this, in, this uh, computing is using is information that it gets from other users that they share that information unintentionally. Uh, it's the same when you use Google Translate or when you search something on Google, uh, that all the input that you are giving, uh, it doesn't disappear, it goes to uh, a, a database and get used in, in, a, in a way that you don't know. So um, I think that we have a fundamental problem now with the intellectual property um, and the, with the companies I'm working uh, right now, there is a specific um, um, policy on not using ChatGPT or not using even Google Translate for a specific uh, sensitive information um, because it was even proven that you, you can find um, 
code uh, for the source code base from Amazon uh, on ChatGPT uh, just because other people with good intentions always, but um, they use the tool and then that information uh, is not more, is not yours anymore. Mm. <laughs> so that's something that we have to take into account. Now we build uh, everything that we build is based on others information on things that were made previously by others. Even this uh, code of ethics was built on others codes of ethics that were previously done. Uh, for instance, there is, has a, a good foundation on the ICF, the mm -hmm. International Coaching Federation. It has a very good code of ethics. So in national coaching, we use professional coaching as well. So this code of ethics uh, is a way to adapt that code um, and other sources as well to this code of, code of ethics. So we constantly use information from other sources and we create, we don't reinvent the wheel, the wheel. we mm. use information from other parts. So intellectual pro property is about having um, the permission to use that information in the way you are going to use it. Um, and also giving the right attribute um, to that person or, or entity that initially created the information or the material that you are using. Uh, that's for me a professional um, behavior. If you are a, a professional agile coach or, or on any other profession, you will you will use this this way of of use of the information. Mm. Danny, do you have anything you want to add to that? Uh, actually, I have a, a situation I've been through recently related mm. to intellectual property. Uh, I'm a volunteer in a very known event here in Brazil called Agile Brazil. And I have created some material on diversity and inclusion for this event. And I shared with my peers who are also volunteers. But one person used some of this material in a personal presentation in other event. Uh, when I saw this, I was really, really pissed off. <laughs> <laughs> I was really mad, but I, I didn't know how to say this to that person because mm. I assumed that wasn't in a, in a bad intention. It wasn't because, uh, this person wanted to, uh, use my material without giving me credit on it, but uh, I talked with some close friends and they encouraged me to talk to this person and say, okay, I saw they used my material and I didn't like it. Um, and listen what this person has to say. So, so um, what I mean with this, this little case here is that sometimes uh, people just don't think that this may be bad. As Damien mm -hmm. said about ChatGPT, uh, Google, uh, people may think that uh, it's okay to use uh, materials, images, uh, content without giving people credit. So sometimes it's important for us, uh, as we know, uh, this is important to teach people about the importance of giving credit, of not using uh, a material or, or images or, or content other person created as your own, but giving the, the credit. Yeah. 
Um, thank you for sharing that story. And you triggered a memory for me. Um, I recently um, ran a workshop at a conference here in Australia with um, a coach, another a fellow coach, an ex-colleague of mine. And um, the workshop was actually a, a coaching workshop. It was the Coaching Habit Breaker. So it was looking at um, some bad habits that coaches have got have you know created over the long few you know their career and they don't always realize they're doing it um so it was kind of shining a light on those and how it make how those habits make the coachee feel and um you know the workshop was it was a lot of time and effort that went into creating that workshop and um Obviously, we did credit the, um, you know, the authors. We got a lot of our inspiration from um, books that we'd read, but also personal experiences. That was a, a large part of it as well. And um, when we finished, when we ran the workshop, we had, you know, 80, 70, 80 people in the room and we had a few people ask us, oh, can we take this? Can we take this and, and run this in our own organisation or with our own teams? And we kind of went, mm, no, sorry. <laughs> it's um, something that we've created. We're very happy to come in and run it for you. Um, but, yeah, can you not just take this as your as your own like there was that kind of intention to go oh we're at a we're at a conference we're learning stuff um and here's stuff that we can you know there's always pressure on people who go to conferences that their organizations have paid for them to be there and they've got to show some value for that attendance and um so taking these ideas and replicating them in their organization so I guess it's always the risk you take when you run any kind of voluntary thing or um, you know, conference, putting together a conference mm -hmm. talk or a conference workshop or something. It's the risk you take yeah. that people that are listening and learning are going to take your thing and present it as their own yeah. um, without, and again, you know, might have the best intentions. They just want to pass on that learning. They thought it was, you know, good or cool or whatever, and they want to pass that on. Um, and and forget that they have to they got it from somewhere and those people put a lot of effort into creating it in the first place um so yeah that was just reminded me danny i've had a few few conversations about that in the last couple of weeks since we've run that workshop uh, renai i think you you had a point there uh that is very specific with the code of ethics that is when someone pretend that the information that they are sharing or the material is they are sharing are their own. It was created by their own. So mm. in my particular case, I have no problem when someone use uh, the information I, I provide or the material I provide. I have a, a blog where I share freely material that, that I create uh, and I have no problem. Sometimes they mention the, the they, they provide the attribution and they mention Sometimes they, people don't remember where they get things or where they learn things. Um, but what I think is really important here, we cannot miss if we want to be a good agile coach and, uh, and observe this code is do not pretend that some information is yours. Mm -hmm. Sometimes people feel that they want to 
um, they want to appear to to be more to have more seniority as an agile coach and say oh, I I created this or this is what I got here. Um, so you create the appearance that it was created um, by you, um, and that creates a problem in the future because you cannot sustain in the in time that you were the author of that. Um, so that will be the main point for me from the intellectual property. Mm. Uh, how about the information security part of um, this section? What does information security mean to uh, you, Danny? Well, for me, information security is all about how we manage um, any data, documentation um, related to product, services, things we work in the organization. I, I like to bring an example. Mm -hmm. um, once I was coaching a team that worked with um, in the, the, the sales area. So they had a lot of uh, confidential information about uh, uh, prices, products, uh, discounts. So information that is really sensitive to the organization. And there, there, there was always um, uh, a worry, I can say, uh, in where we are going to put this information. Because in Agile, we like to use Kanban boards, um, uh, other uh, visual management tools like Miro, like Mural. And mm. it's important that all these tools are approved by the organization. Otherwise, mm. we start using free versions of it, and then we can expose uh, really sensitive uh, business information to the market. Because, mm. for example, if I use a Kanban board on a, a free version of Trello, which is a, is a free tool, and maybe other person from other organization can access this information. So uh, information security is all about uh, the tools we use to, to manage all this documentation, this data, and so on. Yeah, sometimes you upload a video to YouTube. Uh, it happened so many times that I found videos that are supposed to be private. And people sharing, uh, they upload the video just to share the video. Um, and yeah, it's, they think that they are hide, like private, unlisted, as is the name on, mm. on YouTube. But they are not. <laughs> it's not the default option. And you, you forget to do that. Oh, so, so many times I found that uh, private trainings. Um, so in those cases, I let the, the author know that this information is being freely found on, on Google, uh, so they quickly turn off the, the, the privacy of the video, um, they put it private, um, but it's, yeah, when you don't comply as well with the, with the organizational uh, tools that your company provides, then, so you have the risk of having your information um, unsecure, mm. getting access by anyone. Yeah, it's interesting. I, um, Danny, when you said Miro, so I run a lot of online training courses and um, 
the we use Miro to facilitate the online training and you know the collaboration and the group activities and all of those sorts of things and um, when we are running those courses for organizations um, like recently anyway and it's it's quite common Miro is not something that is approved for that organization because of the information security and um, we get uh, we eventually we got um, special permission, I guess you could say, to use uh, so the people on the course could access our Miro walls to do the to do the training. Um, but pre- previous to that, we were kind of using PowerPoint packs to try and uh, get the same experience. But the problem is, once people experience Miro um, as a, that online collaboration tool, they all want to use it as well, and then kind of starts the ball rolling in a probably a, a negative way from as far as this conduct um, this section is concerned anyway because then that's exactly what they do Danny they'll go and create free accounts yeah. um, just so that they can facilitate conversations with their teams in in lieu of no tool no online collaboration tool um, so yeah it's a it's an interesting um interesting gap that yeah. uh, can be quite dangerous, I, I suspect. Yeah, I, I have worked in, in a company that didn't approve Miro. So mm. I had to use other solutions from Microsoft and others that people approved. But of course, the experience was not the same. Mm. But as we have this, this information security uh, issue, I prefer to use because uh, there was a lot of sensitive information about that company that we could not risk to expose. But Mm. I understand that uh, collaboration tools are are really important for our work. And what I suggest for people who are facing this, uh, I'll call limitation in their companies is that Try to bring uh, information security department together and show them the benefits of using that tool that it can be secure since we use uh, single sign-on and, and other uh, information security uh, uh, tools to help. Mm. Yep, Definitely. Um, I want to ask, so of the code of conduct, there are, um, you know, there are lots of sections and this one, protecting confidentiality, intellectual property and information security is number one. It's the very first one in the code of conduct. Why do you think that is? Let go? Yeah, sure. Um... Yeah, I think there is a reason of why this is the first um, item in the in the list of of the ethical code. Uh, it's about trust, I guess. Uh, that's my my opinion. Um, when you are an agile coach, you you are a coach. You do coaching, you, um, and for that, the, what is fundamental is uh, the report and the coaching that you build with your clients. So if they don't trust you, uh, it's not possible. There's no coaching possible there. 
so it, it will be the same with any other profession. Uh, you will trust your doctor uh, on the prescription that they, they give you. Um, and in order to trust your coach, you need to know that he's going to protect uh, your confidentiality, mm -hmm. that you feel psychological safety of sharing that your information, your vulnerabilities, your fear, what is a risk for you uh, to this stranger person that is asking me, is asking me weird questions. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, so for that, you need you need to make sure that you are going to protect confidentiality. Uh, so that's why I think this is the number one. Mm. Danny, do you have? Yeah, I, I totally agree thoughts? with Damien. I wasn't uh, think of this perspective. We do coach. People need to be psychologically safe uh, mm. with us. But um, reading the, this part of the code, I also saw something about um, uh, people need to be sure that we are not going to expose them because when we are in, in an agile team, people usually uh, trust us as coaches to tell us about things they disagree, things they don't like. Uh, and it's, it's our role to help these people uh, share these with others and solve conflicts and so on. But it's not our role to go to these people's manager and say, oh, mm. your employee said that. Your employee doesn't like the way you you talk with him or her, or her and so on. So I think this is another reason why this is uh, the first one, the first topic on the yeah. code. I have a situation that I remember related with with Danny said uh, there was a lot of time ago that this code didn't exist or any code that I know existed. Uh, I think it was this was ten years ago, uh, and I was actually starting as a national coach, and I was coaching a, a, an, in an organization several teams. Um, so they share what they were concerns, um, and I tried to help. Uh, so when I had opportunity to discuss, um, impediments with, a with a manager, I, I wanted to mention, uh, what were the problems that I learned the organization had, um, based on my work with teams, but I was very aware of protecting and not exposing the teams. Um, so I mentioned like, this is happening in some teams here in your organization and we need to address this problem. Um, but this manager that was a very traditional manager, um, was very mad at this, at the situation of me sharing partial information. Mm. He did want to know who was the person that said what exactly. Mm. Uh, so yes, I feel, um, like very uh, pr under pressure of, of uh, this manager was trying to extract that information from me. Mm. And I was very protective. I was very firm on, of my role and, and say, no, I, as a coach, I know that I have to build trust uh, with teams. And so they share this information in a, in a, in a context 
context of trust. Uh, so I cannot disclose who was. It's not, and also it's not, uh, it's unimportant to solve the problem. Who was the person that raised the, the issue? Uh, all the teams could be having the same issue, but was someone that uh, got the courage to actually share that information. Mm. Uh, so this is this go to a point of um, how we can use this code of conduct um, because at that point I didn't have this tool. Uh, I, we can use it as a tool because that's why I mentioned that this can be a tool that you can use as a national coach. Um, so was in, at that moment was my word against his request. Uh, so I had to defend myself, uh, uh, let's put it that way. Mm. Um, so if I had this code of conduct, it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be myself alone, mm. uh, but it was the actual coaching profession. And in this case, the actual Alliance, uh, saying how it should be my behavior. So it, it will support my decision and my behavior having this, um, this code of ethics uh, supporting me. Um, so it's really useful for, for instance, a manager hiring an actual coach, what to, what to expect, what to expect. I can refer to this code of conduct and say, this is how I'm going to behave. This is the code of conduct. Uh, this is what you are hiring. And also when I have to make a hard decision like this one, I can go to this code of ethics and say, okay, this is how I need to behave. So if you want to learn how to be a, a successful agile coach, uh, this, uh, this code of ethics is an amazing uh, resource that you can use to, to learn what, what should be your, your best behavior. Mm. You make a really good point there, Damien. I was just thinking um, of making it a lot more expl explicit in my um, interviewing process, my CV as well, to say, hey, I'm signed up to this code of ethical conduct for agile coaches. So this is what you can expect from me. This is how I will behave in um, certain situations. And um, the code is really good in that it gives examples of, you know, here's an appropriate time. This is how you would um, respond appropriately. This is how you would respond inappropriately. Um, and it's also got some interesting gray area examples in there as well, because we've all been in those situations where, um, like you've said, you, like you say, you've got a, a manager and someone that, who might be quite high up in the leadership chain um, wanting names or um, wanting to know exactly what's going on and you want to, you, you find it's a really hard position to be in as a coach. Um, so I think going into any kind of um, engagement, it would be, I think it will help me anyway personally to go, this is what's going to happen in those situations. Um, so they kind of know what they're getting <laughs> before we, we even, um, start our, you know, relationship. Um, one of the examples in this section is the conducting an agile health check and keeping that anonymous versus, um, you know, le leaders wanting to know who's saying what, um, or what is the exact problem, um, 
So yeah, it's a. Have either of you had that experience from a health check perspective? I I do have. Want to share I'm it? Currently, yeah, I'm currently uh, facilitating an assessment, um, which is a national maturity model mm-hmm. for an organization. That um, I I really like that I'm. Um, working with managers to make sure how this information is going to be used and the real intent of this tool. Um, one of the first concerns that the, the team had um, when learning about this tool was, oh, I'm going to be um, evaluated, uh, mm-hmm. what they are going to do with, with the information, with the level that I'm going to reach, um, they are going to ask me to reach uh, the next level in the next sprint. Uh, so I'm going to receive pressure from, from this. So I did a lot of pre-work before uh, running the maturity model to make sure that everyone in the teams um, know what is their real intent and also with managers. So it was pretty clear for everyone. The intention was to create a roadmap or a path, a consistent pathway for uh, for the teams to understand what will be the next step for them to improve. So they are they are like going in the same direction in a consistent way of working. Um, but it's totally fine that different teams are at different levels uh, or there's no grading or, or that they are going to get, just understanding what is the next step for them to improve. Uh, so I, I have experience with different ways to apply these different models uh, that we can use in different situations. I have, for instance, one example um, is an online questionnaire that the, the, everyone needs to fill in. And for that, I have created two levels of uh, privacy. Level one is that the answers are anonymous, um, but uh, they have to we, we need to identify what is the team that they are referring to uh, so we can have information per team in order to have uh, useful information for the teams to improve. So everyone, uh, every individual is filling in um, anonymously the questionnaire, but selecting the team. And the second layer uh, of privacy is that we don't have the particular or the real names of the teams, but they every team creates a fantasy code name uh, so they create their own name so they can identify, okay, we are the, the team Avengers, for instance, they are creating a name. Mm. Um, so in the team, they know, uh, they identify themselves as with that name, but no, anyone else in the organization, not any team or manager knows who is the team Avengers. So they can download, uh, the results and use them as they want to improve. Um, but for, we have those two levels of, of privacy of the information. So it's really useful. Another example of another experience is um, a document that they download to their computer uh, and they use it. So there's the information is not on the cloud. Mm-hmm. The team has the ownership of all the information and they share what they want to share. Mm-hmm. Uh, they can share, okay, we identify that we want to work in this and we need support to improve because we want to, let's say, improve our automation testing, and that's it. They don't need to share any level of degree or anything else. Mm-hmm. So I think that's great. And we provide support when 
uh, when they ask for support uh, and that's the primary role of an agile coach mm. i like that good good tips there thank you damien yeah i've been i've been through through similar situations with maturity assessments because it seems that managers see maturity assessments as a way to see if people know what agile is, if people know how to apply agile in their companies and so on. So when I faced this challenge, uh, what I did is, is trying to explain for both the teams and their managers the purpose of doing an agile assessment. It was not to evaluate uh, a, a person by person, it was not to say, oh, Maria knows more about Agile than João. It's, this is not the point. The point is uh, to evaluate the, the maturity of that team in doing Agile. So we could use these, these results as an input to apply uh, improvements in the team. So uh, it was really tough because in the beginning, managers... Uh, resist to it. They wanted to see uh, person by person what they answered in that uh, in that maturity assessment. But uh, at that time, we developed a software to do these maturity assessments, and then uh, we developed that in a way that people do all these maturity assessments uh, collectively, not individually. So it was not possible to have uh, an individual uh, result. It was not possible to say that Dani knows more about Agile than Damien and so on. Mm. It's really interesting as you both share your stories. I'm, real <laughs> I'm realizing that we have the same kind of problems everywhere around the world. <laughs> um, and you know, how much this this code of conduct is going to help coaches all around the world. Um, we are almost out of time. Do you have any final um, words of wisdom or advice for agile coaches before we wrap up? Sure. I can, I, I would like to share uh, for every agile coach uh, that we have a real um, tremendous responsibility of elevating our profession um, because this is not a profession uh, that you go to university to get your degree and you learn how you have to have to do it. We are creating the role as we go and the role is continuously evolving. Uh, so that's why the code of ethics uh, is relevant because provides some consistency an understanding of what we can expect from a national coach, how we should be behaving as a national coach uh, in a consistent way. Um, so it's fine to have many different styles of national coaching to different um, contexts and for different organizations. Uh, that's, uh, that's a plus. It's awesome to have a team of different national coaches with different perspective. Um, so I, this, this code of ethics was created uh, from many people. Uh, I think it was like more than 15 people creating this with dif from different parts of the world. Uh, so it really represents 
um, a consistent way of thinking of what the Agile coach should be doing. Um, so it's, that's why it's really important to uh, to uh, to observe this, uh, this this code of ethics. And the problem that we have is when someone um, that is Agile coach is not behaving in this way. So this creates problems, creates a bad understanding of what to expect from an Agile coach. Um, and this creates a problem with the profession. So we, we all have the responsibility mm -hmm. of having high standards of behavior with, with our profession and take care of it. Uh, and for that, we have this code of ethics. Mm. Thank you. Yeah, I think Damien was perfect. I just want to add <laughs> that for everyone who is thinking of transition to, to Agile, Uh, working as an Agile coach or as a Scrum Master or as, an, or as an Agile Master, I think the first thing you must read is this code of ethics. Before starting studying Scrum, Kanban, and so on, you must read this code of ethics. So you, you will be sure that the behaviors, the attitudes, um, the challenges is what you are looking for in your career. So I think this is it. Mm, definitely. That's a really good point. Thank you, Danny. Um, thank you both for your time. Um, I know it's getting quite late for you both, but I, I really enjoyed that conversation and hopefully our listeners will get a lot out of that um, as well. So thank you for sharing your stories and thank you for taking the time to translate it as well because um, it's got much more of a, a reach um, in different languages now. So thank you very much for, for doing that as well. From the community. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much. It was a pleasure for, uh, uh, it was my pleasure to translate it and be part of, of this team. Uh, thank you so much, uh, Renai, for, for, for this podcast and interview. And it was a pleasure as well to share this with, with Danny. Thank you. Thank you, Renee. Thank you, Damien. It was amazing having this conversation with you about this first session of the code. Yes. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Women in Agile podcast series. It is brought to you in partnership from the Women in Agile nonprofit and Scrum.org. We hope you've learned something new and invite you to tell a friend or a coworker about the podcast. Please go online to womeninagile.org to learn more about our initiative and find more inspiring podcast conversations.